Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Great. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, please. And a couple of items of business before we do that. First of all, in your bulletin, if you'd open it up, you'd see one of these, Admit One, tickets for our Christmas musical. We love seeing God use the arts, using music, drama, to touch people's hearts in deep ways, and this is coming up quick. December 4th is when we have our Christmas musical. Would you just lay your hand on this invitation? We're going to ask God to use these. This is a great opportunity to invite people to a church service that might not normally want to attend, uh, but they'd like to come and see a play, uh, a Christmas favorite as we do Christmas Carol Retold. Father, we're asking that these invitations would be placed in people's hands, family members, co-workers, colleagues, students, neighbors, a people who need a touch from you, who need hope and who need joy. Lord, use this musical, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? All right. Hey, uh, secondly, I want to just take a couple moments before we jump back into our Relational Reformation series and address a godly response to the election. We talked last week on a Christian response to government leaders. In case you don't know, we just had an election in our nation. We have a new president-elect. So what is a believer's response to president-elect Donald Trump? Here we go. And you got it. Did you hear my first sermon? Uh, Number one, pray. Everyone say pray. We talked about this last week. We said on Tuesday at the end of the evening, we'll have a new president-elect, and some people will be happy about it, some people will be uh, scared or frustrated, some people will be indifferent, but here is the calling as believers, we are called to pray. And so the first thing I did with my children when they woke up on Wednesday morning, I gathered them together and said, children, we have a new president-elect, and we are called as Christians to pray for him. And so I said, I want us to pray these biblical values that we have for our family, that we say every day, let's pray these for Donald Trump. And so one of my children prayed that we would, he would hunger for God. We, we do this little chant every morning, hunger for God, humble ourselves, honor each other, and hardworking. And so we had each child pray for a different one. So Hallie prayed that Donald Trump would hunger for God. John Mark prayed that he'd be humble, he'd humble himself. Joshua prayed that 
He would be honoring. Husbands prayed that he would be hardworking and, and really put his hand to the work of being president. This is what we're called to do. And let me just say this. We don't want to just pray for our president-elect. We want to pray for our nation. We've seen as we watch on the news this week that our nation is divided, that there's all kinds of feelings and emotions. What we can do as believers is pray that our nation would experience a move of Jesus. Amen? Number two, number two is this. We need to keep on mission. And this would have been number two, and number one would have been number one, by the way, no matter who became the president. Some different Christians believe that they're breathing a sigh of relief as they think that Donald Trump will put in justices who will more promote the freedom of religion in our country. And here's the danger for many believers is that all of a sudden everyone breathes a sigh of relief and says, okay, now the government will take care of this. Can I just tell you that we don't put our hope in government, we put our hope in Jesus Christ, and we contend as, a, as the church for the kingdom of God to advance and the gospel to be preached in our city, in our state, in this nation, and the nations of the world. So we want to stay on our toes. We don't want to sit back. We want to stay on our knees. We don't want to sit back in judgment. Amen? We need to keep on mission as the body of Christ. Number three, Number three, we want to work to heal the racial pain. And this is, this is the, the saddest thing that I see going on, and this is something that's very dear to our heart as all people's church. As you know, this country, uh, this, excuse me, this church represents 40 different nations or over 40 nations. 20% of our church was born outside of the United States. We care deeply for the unity and the ethnic healing of our land. And the church is supposed to be the prophetic picture of that. Around the throne of grace are gathered people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, worshiping as one body. First of all, we want to promote unity in the body of Christ. Second of all, we want to pray that this church and that the churches of our land would be the prophetic picture uh, of ethnic healing and ethnic reconciliation. Amen? So this is what God's calling us to. I want to call us to press into this, and we will trust God in these upcoming days. And, and here's just one thing that, that, that I, I want to say. The last election, one thing that really frustrated me was a picture of Barack Obama with the word under it saying hope. Now, I'm not saying that because I have feelings one way or the other about Barack Obama. The reason I say that is we should never put our hope in a man. The accurate picture would have been Jesus Christ and under it the word hope. So we don't put our hope in Republicans or Democrats. We put our hope in Jesus. And so church, we're going to move forward, we're going to heal our land, we're going to do our business, and we are going to bring love and restoration to this country, amen? Amen. I expected more of an amen. amen. Thank you. Okay, now let's jump in to this relational reformation message this morning, because I actually believe that the main problems in our country come from a breakdown in relationship, and so this morning, we're going to talk about healing the family wounds, healing the family 
wounds. Now this, in, for many people, will be a heavy message upon your heart, but I want to tell you that God wants to bring you hope, and God wants to bring you healing. We're going to start in 1 Samuel 16. We're talking about the life of David. The life of David. And here's what I know about many people. They feel when they come into this life that they're starting numerous yards back from the starting line because of the family they came from. Or maybe they feel like this, that they're running with a limp because of their family of origin. Can I tell you the great news is that we have that model in the life of David of a man who experienced tremendous pain, tremendous wounds, but yet at the end of his life it said he was a friend of God that fulfilled God's purposes for him in his generation. Can I tell you that the wounds in your family can be healed and you can fulfill the purposes of God in your generation? We start in 1 Samuel 16, where David is actually being chosen as king. Now let me give the background just for a few moments. We talked about it last week. The people of Israel wanted a king. They had wanted to put their trust in some man. God told Samuel, You're not re- they're not rejecting you, Samuel, as a spiritual leader. They're actually rejecting me. Give them what they want. They get Saul, a man that was said to be head and shoulders taller than everyone, the finest in the land. And yet Saul had a, a, a very tragic fault, and that was he put his trust in man's strength. And as he did that, he forfeited his role as king. Now that's where we pick up in this story in verse 16, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, and listen very carefully to this church, this is a revolutionary kingdom concept. He says this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen with this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Today I want you to look at the life of David, and we're going to acknowledge numerous different wounds he had. And I want you to see if you can identify any of these family wounds, because... What we understand is when we have wounds in our hearts or when we have hurt in our hearts, hurting people hurt people. So the wounds that you have from your family often cause you to respond 
to your other relationships, which God intended to be healthy, you respond in a negative way. Perhaps you treat your spouse a certain way, or your friends, or your co-workers, or even your children, because of the wounds that you receive. Now, let me just start with this foundation. My desire for you is not to walk out of here with a victim mentality. That would be the wrong thought. My desire for you is to understand that God can heal your heart. In fact, I want you to walk out of here honoring other people, and specifically, as we address the parent wounds, honoring your parents, right? The Bible says that if we honor our parents, it will go well with us. Can I just tell you a couple of statistics going on in our land right now? Fewer than half, 46% of U.S. kids under the age of 18 are living in a home with a mother and father that are in their first marriage, 46%, okay? Listen to this, 61%, no, excuse me, 41% of children are being born outside of marriage in the United States. Here's what we know just from these simple statistics is that many, many people, about one out of every two, has tremendous pain from not growing up right alongside with a healthy mother and a healthy father, a father protecting and providing, a mother nurturing and comforting them. Now, the goal is not to blame our parents, but our goal is to understand the pain so that we can receive God's healing, so that we can grow up into maturity and be the people God's called us to be and bring healing to our families and our land. So here is family wound number one. I encourage you to write these down today. I think they'll bring tremendous insight to you. Number one, the what I call left out wound. Did you notice that when Samuel, the most important person of all of Israel, comes into David's house, that Jesse, David's father, didn't even invite David to the party? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the president comes to your home and all of a sudden your dad gathers all your brothers and all your sisters and you're left in the sheep pen? Like this is actually what happened to David. And so David had this left out wound going on in his heart. And I want to tell you that many Christians feel this. Many people in today's society, they say, hey, my brother was preferred, my sister was preferred, and I wasn't included. And so they carry around this tremendous pain in their hearts. And what does that do? The problem with that is then we go throughout life with a rejection wound. And we go into our different relationships and we see, it's like we've put on glasses of rejection. And so however people speak to us, however they treat us, we think they're rejecting us. Are you following me? So someone, maybe they disagree with us, but instead of just it being a normal disagreement, we go, oh, you're rejecting me. Or someone confronts us on something. Hey, you shouldn't have said that. They go, oh, you're rejecting us. You don't like me. You don't want me around. That's not what they're saying at all. But we have a rejection wound, and we end up projecting that on other people, which ends up getting us rejected more. Can I just tell you that God wants to heal the rejection wounds today? You might have felt left out by your family, but you're not left out by God. He sees you, he loves you, and he calls you up even when you're left out. Point number two, second wound, the shameful birth wound. Many people believe that the reason that David was not included when the prophet comes into his house was from uh, Psalm 51.5. Listen to this. David says this, Behold, 
I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Many scholars believe that David was actually born outside of wedlock, and that's why he received such uh, strange treatment from his father. Why were all the brothers included, and David was left out in the sheep pen? Why is David's like a Cinderella story, where he ends up having to be the servant and waiter on all his brothers? Let me just tell you that many people I, I meet in the body of Christ, they feel like their birth was shameful, and so that makes them feel inferior. They have an inferiority complex. I, I remember talking to this one guy. He was a college athlete, a uh, real great-looking guy, had a beautiful girlfriend, and, and God was starting to do things in his life, but he just told me, he said, Pastor, I just can't get these lies out of my head that I'm not wanted because my mother gave me up for adoption right when I was born. I want to tell you that many people are battling these lies. Can I tell you that although your parents might not have planned you, that God planned you? You might have been a surprise to your parents. You might not have been wanted by your parents, but you were wanted by God, and you didn't surprise him. When you came onto the scene, he was waiting with his hands outstretched, and when you screamed your first scream, he said, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's how God sees you. Jump back into the story. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint this one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. You know, you might have been left out. You might have felt like you've had a shameful birth. You might feel like no one sees you. But can I tell you that God can pull you out of the most hidden places, and then it says that David was glowing. You might feel like you weren't chosen, but when God's Spirit comes on you, you are glowing. You are anointed. Your pedigree is not what matters. Your anointing is what brings you to the table. And if you've given your life to Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So get ready to glow. Psalm 78, verse 70. I love this. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. You know, I say it many times, we as Christians, we as the church, have this very romantic view of shepherding and sheep. Can I just tell you, I grew up on a ranch. Sheep are not romantic. They're stinky and they're dumb. David had a lame job, right? He was walking through the sheep manure there were flies. There was all kinds of junk around him. This was not a romantic job, and he was by himself. Can I tell you that there's many people in this room working dead-end jobs? And so you're thinking, man, this is pointless. My life's up to nothing. Nothing good's going to happen to me. Can I just tell you that God found David in the sheep pen and exalted him to king? You know, if you feel like no one sees me in my job, then you're in a good place because you're working for an audience of one. 
And that one is the most important person. He is in charge of your promotion, not any boss, not any teacher. God can exalt us in a moment. And what was God looking for? It says this, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. God is looking at the heart. He's looking for integrity of heart. What's integrity? It's who you are when no one else is looking. You're in a job all by yourself. You think no one sees me? Good, because you can show your true colors before the Lord. And Matthew 6 says he rewards those who do things in secret unto him. Secondly, he was looking for someone with skillful hands. How do you develop skillful hands? You faithfully do the same thing with excellence over and over and over again. That is not popular in this generation. We always want to go to the next place, have the next adventure. We want to go, the grass is greener over there. And you know the grass is greenest where you stand and water it. So you be faithful you work hard, you have integrity of heart, you gain skillful hands and watch God exalt you. He is in charge of your promotion. Let's look at the next wound. We're going to move into this very famous story of David and Goliath very quickly. Verse 17 of 1 Samuel 17 is where we find ourselves. It says, now Jesse said to his son David, take this a faff of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp and take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out. I love, you know, David's being treated like a servant. He's like little Cinderella for his wicked stepbrothers. His they're not his stepbrothers, but they are, are going to treat him wicked. But David doesn't complain. He says, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to serve. And I want you to see what happens. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle positions, shouting the war cry. Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him, his family, from taxes in Israel. Verse 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for this man who kills the Philistines and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, listen to this, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Okay, did you see that? I call this wound the sibling rivalry wound. Right? Our families are meant to be a place of, of love, of nurture, and of acceptance. Family is the one place you should be able to go 
and feel like I can, I can let down, I can just be me, and I'll be cared for. But David was receiving just the opposite, and so many of us have received just the opposite from our siblings. And so David's sibling, the first thing he says is, what are you doing here? Like he's saying, you don't even belong here, little shepherd punk, right? Then, then the next thing, he, he drives it in a little deeper. With whom did you leave those few sheep? First of all, he's, he's insulting them. Hey, you're just a shepherd, but now he's insulting them that he doesn't even have many sheep to begin with. Who'd you leave those few sheep with, boy? Look at, look at this next thing. I know how conceited you are. Hey, poor David, he showed up with a cheese tray to serve his brother. He's like, I know how conceited you are, cheese boy. <laughs> poor, poor, poor guy, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. It's horrible. You know, years ago I, I was, I was uh, talking with this woman in our church, and she was so wonderful and so loving. God was doing great things in her life, but, but she had so much pain, and she kept distancing herself from people, and she kept misreading what people were doing. And, and as we got more into counsel and more into prayer, she ends up telling me that she had been abused by her brother, and God revealed that that was why she had distanced herself from people, because a very relationship, an older brother who was to care for her, had injured her. Can I just tell you that if you've experienced something like that, that God wants to heal you? He wants to set you free. He wants to rewrite your story. So watch what David does. We can learn something very helpful from this. The first of all, verse 29, look how David responds. He says, now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? David doesn't turn and cut down his brother. He doesn't attack his brother. I mean, we know David was pretty good with the sling. He didn't pull out the sling and say, Eliab, I'm going to take care of the giant, but first, you're going down. Right? I mean, that would have been a different story. Didn't take out a shepherd's staff. Right? No, he just says, what, what have I done? And then look at the next phrase. He then turned away. He then turned away. Can I just tell you that so many of us, we're, we're spending our life in fighting and friction with our siblings, or we're just waiting, would you please affirm me, would you please encourage me, when it's time to just look at them and try to make peace, David just tries to make peace, what, what have I done? But then when he doesn't get that, he, then he just walks away, and what does he walk to? He walks into the kingdom business. Did you hear me? He walks into the kingdom business. It says he goes up to someone else, and he talks to them about this matter, and then the men answered him as before, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, this is verse 30, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. He actually said it this way, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David's a boy. David's talking about a giant, and he said, hey, I'll go fight him. This is amazing. David said, I'm not going to spend my time fighting a battle in my family. I'm going to fight kingdom battles. Do you hear me? Verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Let me say this is another wound. This is the limitation wound. 
different ones in this room, you've endured or incurred this wound where someone spoke a limitation over you. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what someone has said over you, it matters what Jesus says over you. It matters what this word says over you. Many of us are living with word curses over our life. It's time to break them off, and it's time to be showered by the word of God and say, let God be true, and the scripture says, let every man be a liar, and I'm going to bank my life on this word, and this word says that I'm anointed. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I'm a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I'm a victorious warrior. That's who you are, beloved. That's what the word of God says over you today. The problem with this limitation wound is that we start looking at other people and and we look at our friends and we become jealous of them because we say, well, they can do this or they have this. And do you know that you can't have a healthy relationship with someone you're jealous of? Or we resent them. Well, why do we have that? Why do they have this and that and this and that? And then you distance yourself from successful people. You're not limited. Your limit is what God says about you. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. This is is David's response to what a man says limiting him. David appeals to his God history. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Now that is a bad boy right there. Verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defined the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David goes... And speaks about his God history. You're not defined by what man has done to you. You're not defined by what woman has said to you. You're defined by what God has done in your life. Uh, Did you notice something? I I noticed something a little messed up about this passage though. David, a little boy, was out in the wilderness fighting a lion. Okay, you might have just seen my wife walk down with my little boy right here. If you heard that my boy fought a lion, you'd call CPS on me. You'd call Child Protective Services and say, hey, that dad is not a good dad. He's letting his boy out in East County fighting a mountain lion. You'd have me locked up. But then you notice this. It's not that he just fights a lion. Then he says, and I fought a bear. Okay, so uh, picture this. John Mark comes home and says, dad. I was out with the animals, and I fought a lion, and I killed it. Okay, imagine if I said, hey, good job, son. Go back out there with those animals and protect them. No, I would say, son, I am so sorry. As your dad, I'm bigger, I'm struggling. I will, I will make sure and take care of you. I will be there with you, or I'll send one of your big brothers out there until you're older. But no, David's dad goes, hey, son, get back out there. And then a bear attacks. Here's what I call this. I call this the unprotected wound. The calling of a family is to shield children from harm, from evil, from impurity, from destruction. And I want to tell you that many people grew up in families where evil was allowed to permeate 
into the ranks of the family members where actually evil was brought in by the family member and pain was caused. And here's what that does in our relationships. One, it completely breaks down trust and so we don't believe that people are going to protect us. I see this in marriages. We don't believe that our spouse is going to protect us because our, our parents or our siblings let evil come and hit me. Or we just expect to be treated poorly. And that's how people end up in abusive relationships for years is they don't, they don't know anything different. They just said, yeah, I was, I was abused by my parents or I was abused by a sibling. I'm going to be abused by a spouse. Can I tell you that abuse is wrong? No one in this room deserves it. You do not deserve it. If you're in an abusive situation right now, that is not God's will for your life. And say something, and we will help you get free from that. And if you're abusing someone, that is wrong. You're breaking the heart of God. God made you for something better than that. Stop it. Cut it out. God's going to give you power to be set free. Because the other thing is, people that get abused and hurt, they so often do that to the next generation out of their own pain. And so the pain that we incur, we end up projecting on other people. And God wants to write new family lines. You might have had the most hellacious family experience. I want to tell you, God wants to give you a godly one. And you're going to be the change agent that sets a whole new generation on a path of heavenly hosting of his presence. That's his desire for your life. Here's my thesis this morning. God is the father when our family hurts us. God is a father when our families hurt us. Psalm 27.10. This is what David would go on to say. David who experienced all those wounds, he said this. Listen to this in verse 10. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Can I just tell you, if your father forsook you, if your mother forsook you, if your parents were harsh with you, if your siblings injured you, God will receive you. He wants to be the father that they could never be. And he wants to bring his healing and his grace. I asked a couple of friends that you know in this church, they're being used in a wonderful way by God, but who experienced these kind of things. I asked them to come and share with you their story so you could see how it's been lived out in our midst. Would you just welcome Stephen? Stephen's our worship pastor. Nikki. Nikki's our children's administrator. It's been amazing hearing their stories, hearing what God has done, and also seeing God use them in such wonderful ways. So thank you for being willing to share your story. And Nikki, why don't you start? Just take us into some of the challenges of your family of origin. Awesome. Good morning, church. Uh, so a little bit about me. Uh, my parents dated for a very short period of time uh, when I was conceived. And I actually did not meet my father until I was six years old. So there were many years of wondering and waiting and, and wondering why. why. Why didn't my dad want to meet me? You know, what, what, what's wrong with me that my dad wouldn't want to be with me? Um, as a young child, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, I was put on medication as a young child and spent a lot of my early years um, just in that pain of, of being without a father. Stephen, why don't you take us into your family of origin? Yeah, so when I was around eight years old, seven or eight, I remember finding this bottle of liquor in our back porch area and kind of asking one of my brothers about it. I'm from a family of five boys and um, just learning that my dad was an alcoholic. 
And so, you know, starting at that point around eight all the way through junior high, high school years, uh, there's just a uh, general weightiness. Just you come to the house, it's just familial, just heaviness, uh, hoping when I'm out and about, no one asks us about it, that sort of feeling. So just kind of on your toes a bit. And then um, also financially, just because there's five boys and a mom and a dad who's in and out of jobs. There's just a lot of financial struggle, you know, just trying to make ends meet, never quite feeling like there's ever going to be enough. And then, um, and lastly, there just was kind of a, uh, because of the lack of consistency of a father's voice in my life, it just was kind of this overarching question mark over my head. Uh, I, I would put it that way, just sort of like, you know, you know, is, is what I am enough? Um, you know, who am I? What am I up to? Uh, just even like, you know, with my kind of hero falling, so to speak, just kind of a disappointment and insecurity of how we're going to get through this. So, so Nikki, then talk to us about how God met you in your pain. So, uh, in my early twenties, uh, I I really felt um, I had a lot of pain. Uh, my dad was um, an alcoholic. He was verbally abusive. Uh, there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt in our relationship, and I became very lost. Um, I believed a lot of really horrible lies about myself and was so confused about who I was. Um, I ended up moving to New York and just wanting to escape the pain, uh, thinking that maybe moving to a different city would bring uh, healing to, to my story. And uh, when I moved to New York, um, I was on uh, my 27th birthday, I decided that it was time. It was time for healing. It was time to start the hard work of putting my faith into Jesus. And um, on my 27th birthday, I actually forgave my father. The, not the first time I've had to, forgive it, had to have forgiven my father, but, the, but I had to forgive him in that moment. And it just really started this five-year journey uh, that I am on now. And then you really talked about pressing in and, and working to not stay where you're at. What have you done? Um, so it's been great. Uh, it's, it's really wonderful this season um, that I've been in. Uh, I have, am able to look back at all of the hard work. And one thing that I did is I um, was in a, a year of counseling. Um, a year of counseling. And not only that, God really put the most amazing people into my life, uh, people that were really able to pour into me at different times for different reasons. And um, I was able to do a lot of healing through, through those people and, and, of course, through that counseling. Mm-hmm. How about you, Stephen? What was your God experience that started bringing healing into your heart? Yeah, so when I was around eight or nine, <clears throat> I was at a Sunday night event at our church that my mom had brought us to. And um, I think it was one of those weeks where, you know, I'm in school and I'm like probably kicked some kid in the head at recess and like didn't apologize or some sort of like got my name written on the board. And so as I'm going into this Sunday night event um, where the man is preaching and I just remember very clearly the Lord, the Lord's presence coming and I, I heard him speak to my heart. He said, hey, you know that you hurt people that you love as well, just like your dad has hurt you. Um, so I'm thinking through recess and then connecting with the pain in my heart. And then the, God said, but if you'll give your life to me, I'll be your father. And I remember just, even now, it's funny, every time I share it, I just can feel God's presence, just like a tingling. And I remember the, just the warmth 
filling my, my chest and just being like, oh my goodness, this is what I, this is all I'm longing for. And so I remember, you know, immediately grabbed my mom's dress and be like, I want to get baptized, you know, <laughs> and uh, God is, I want to give my life to Jesus. And, um, and kind of progressing through our church was just a wonderful experience of worship. And so I would just engage in worship with all my heart and that was where I would feel God's presence. I would feel that same sense that I felt that very first night. Um, and then there was other moments um, where there was moments where I, I would be going into some test or some, some big game or something and just kind of those feelings of like, am I going to be able to do this? This uncertainty. And there was a few men who discipled me and this one man stepped in and I remember I'm sharing all this stuff and I'm thinking it's going to be a bro to bro moment and instead he like tricked me. And he's like, man, I just feel like the Father, God, wants you to know how proud he is of you. And like, as he said the words, just, I just like melted. The Holy Spirit starts touching my heart. So just ways that the Father has kind of reached me through people. Mm-hmm. So Nikki, you, you shared, Stephen sharing about how the church has impacted him and met him in the midst of that, that family wound. I know that that's been a big part of your story. Why don't you take us into that? Awesome. Well, I think... Uh, the biggest part of this is I was raised by, with a wonderful family, a family who has taught me to always fight and, and, and to press in. And um, I was actually, and I, wanna, I just want you to know that while this story did happen while on church staff, that stories like this, healing and breakthrough like this can happen in any community. And, and to surround yourself with people you trust and you love and press into them and be vulnerable with them. So it was a couple of months ago, and um, I was actually in a very vulnerable conversation with one of my dearest friends, and uh, my dad called me twice. I hadn't talked to my dad in months. Um, he didn't call me on my birthday, uh, just had been getting the, the longest silent treatment from him. And um, my friend says, you know, your dad called twice. You should probably check that, and checked my phone, and uh, he was just yelling at me threatening to take away my car, repo my car, all of these things. And, you know, in that moment, while there was so much pain, God also gave me the greatest revelation. And in that moment, um, I'm actually sitting in our staff meeting, and I'm surrounded by the men that are on staff. And God says to me, you know men who love their daughters. Now, I have family members that love their daughters and uh, have shown me how to love their daughters, but this was the first time that I had that revelation that not only can men love their daughters, but they can be in love with their daughters. Something that I've never experienced, something that I've always wanted to know. And there's also this sense of brotherhood, that I am surrounded by men who love me in my life, regardless of what I may believe. And so God asked me to actually share this in a staff meeting a couple of weeks later. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm telling the staff what had happened in this moment. And um, like I, I do, I just try to move on to the next thing. And uh, Kendall actually stopped me in that moment and said, we need to press into this. And in that moment, Jeff starts praying over my first six years of being without a dad. And then all the men in the room get up and they come around me and they embrace me, and they pray over me, and I'm starting to break, I'm starting to cry, something that I don't typically do um, in public, and I'm starting to realize how loved I am. And Robert then asks Steve uh, 
to say a father's blessing over me. And Steve looks at me and says, Nikki, I just feel like I need to give you a hug. And I said, okay, I'll give you a hug. And I, you know, touch for me is, it's, it's, it's very vulnerable. You know, I, I didn't grow up with a dad hugging me. I, I never sat on my dad's lap. All of these things that I really missed out on um, as a child. And Steve just embraced me in this moment. And all of a sudden, I just broke. I was t crying. I was not, you know, the, the nice soft tears. It was the ugly, horrible cry of just wailing. And Steve is crying in that moment. And everyone in that room is just, is just crying in that moment because they know the healing that has happened. Five long years of pressing in and pressing toward God had finally brought me to this moment. And I just want to say, if you are pressing in, if you are believing for healing, it will happen. Have faith and press in. It takes a long time sometimes. I have been walking in this for 32 years of not having a father. So I just encourage you to press in. We love you. So proud of you. Um, you know, here's what Nikki's really speaking about. Actually, she's preaching about right now. Uh, God puts the lonely in families. That's what scripture says. He's a father to the fatherless. And that's what he wants to be for you. That's what he wants to be for every person in this room. You are dearly loved. You're dearly treasured. And that's why we encourage you, draw into family. The church isn't perfect, but God wants to use the church to heal you. And so oftentimes the devil doesn't play fair, and he tries to isolate the people that are hurting the most from actually getting into the center of the church. You're the very ones that need to have the church wrap your, its arms around you. But you feel like you're on the outside. Can I tell you today, you're not on the outside. You're wanted in this place. You're wanted in this church. There's two types of kids that I see. I see kids that kind of walk into a room and, and they become adults. They walk into a room and they're kind of like, am I, am I wanted or am I accepted? And they kind of stand over in a corner and feel like they're on the outside. But then I see kids that come from families that have encouraged them and they walk into a room and they're kind of like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> You're blessed, aren't you, that I'm here. Can I just tell you that that's what I want for every person in this church? That's how I want every one of you to walk in, that you can finally come into a place where you walk in and say, I'm here. And the reason is because you're made in the image of God, and he's deposited beautiful things in you, and we're better because you're here. And we want you, you're accepted, and you're loved. And so I encourage you, jump into the church. Jump into a life group. Get in a community where people can surround you, where you can have healthy relationship with fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and be healed in this imperfect but beautiful and holy thing called the church. Thank you, guys. So good. Why don't we stand up? God has wonderful things in store for all of us. He wants to take the pain and pull it out of your heart. He wants to bring tremendous healing and restoration, and he wants to give you the relationships that will bring the healthy foundation for you to stand upon to fulfill your destiny. Quickly, can I have some prayer team leaders come up, life group leaders, staff members, different ones from the prophetic team. If you can quickly come up, would you just close your eyes with me? Father, we're praying as we talked about deep waters and a heavy topic. Lord, I believe that you wanna bring restoration 
thank you that you, you had put that on Stephen's heart to sing this song this morning to bring restoration. Now we're asking for restoration to be done. For any person that doesn't know Jesus in here, let them invite you into their hearts today. For anyone that feels like they're too far gone or there is no love for them, Lord, I thank you that your love can break into the hardest of hearts and you can bring the lonely and put them in families. If you need prayer this morning, I just want you to come forward right now. If you just say, hey, I need prayer. My family situation's been hard. There's hurt in my heart. Just make your way. Be bold. We are, you're wanted here. You're accepted. Ask, ask to be excused in your rows. Just come down. You might be seven. You might be 70. And you still have these different pains. Just come right now. We're going to wait a minute. We're going to finish the service just by praying. Just come. If that's you today, you might have had something spoken over you. You might have been treated harshly. I want to tell you, in a moment, God can touch your life. In a moment, he can speak a word over your life. His presence can come on you, just like Stephen said, and your heart can be warmed up. You just come. If this message was touching you, we want to pray for you. We want to be a family to you this morning. We want to wrap you up in God's love this morning. So you just come as we sing one last song.